Welcome to Living Wisely, Living Well, timeless wisdom to enrich every day with Asha Nayaswamy, one of the spiritual directors of Ananda Palo Alto and a founding member of Ananda Worldwide. If you enjoy this content and are inspired by the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda and his disciple Swami Kriyananda, find Asha on YouTube, Facebook, all podcast directories, and her website, ashajoy.org. Living wisely, living well. We are now on January 19. If rumor has preceded you, you might tell people, rumor is a beast with many heads and with as many tongues. It might be wisest to let your own experience of me show you to which head you should listen. (laughs) Since I was 24 years old, I've lived in spiritual community. I was a founding, one of the founding members of Ananda's first community, Ananda Village, near Nevada City. I moved there in 1971. Sixteen years later, in 1987, I moved to Ananda Palo Alto, where I've been ever since. So this is plus 30 years now. Um, Ananda also has several other communities. We have about eight, I think, in Europe and India. Well, we don't. We yeah, in India and America, and. Um, there's probably a thousand people at least who are involved in living in community, plus there's a, a thousands more who are in one way or another associated with Ananda in multiple, on multiple continents, even in several languages. What I'm going to say here is, in all these years of living at Ananda, this is my um, very unscientific, subjective belief. I have never been the first person to tell somebody a piece of interesting news. <laughs> it's like... And I don't mean gossip, I just mean news. Oh, so-and-so's pregnant, these people are getting married, you know, this this one is going to move over to that community to be part of that job, you know, just stuff like that. So-and-so's son is dating so-and-so's daughter, you know, just the kind of things that a family likes to know about itself. It's to my, my belief is that we're all on, actually on one nerve wire. So when one piece of information is is spoken anywhere, anywhere in the chain, anywhere in the planet, then simultaneously everybody becomes aware of it at the same time. Years ago, when Ananda was younger, uh, Ananda itself for 50 years now, there was a community, and they might still exist, it was, I believe it was called the Bruderhof, which I guess would be the Brotherhood, and they were in multiple countries, and this was early, like the 70s or 80s. They were older than us. They predated us by, I think, many, many, uh, many decades. And in those days, the only way to communicate across long distances was long-distance telephone. And I think that community had enough resources. They had some kind of a business that succeeded for them. They might have made wooden toys. It's not really that important, but that was the thing. But they were very frugal, and they lived very simply. But they had an unlimited budget for long-distance phone calls because it was extremely important to them as a spiritual family to stay in touch with each other. So they called each other and talked across the oceans whenever they wanted to. And I've always remembered that. It stayed really closely in my mind. Um, People are more important than anything else. And in a spiritual community, I mean, most of you don't have a life like this because at this time, it's not that common. Although Master made the statement that small communities like this, spiritually based communities, will be the lifestyle of the future. And it solves a great many of the issues that we have. Now, even though I'm joking about how everybody knows everything as soon as it happens, 
I have to add into that the kindly nature of community. When you're, you're a spiritual community where everybody is striving to attune themselves to God, it's incredibly charitable. It's not at all any kind of a malicious interest in one another or a, a pleasure in each other's suffering and someone else's suffering. It's nothing like that at all. It's an ideal, loving family. I mean, people are people. But nonetheless, it's, it's, it's the very positive if you think of a very large extended family where people really love and respect each other. That's, that's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm part of. At the same time, and this is where Swami's comment comes in, sometimes energy gets away from us and thoughts and ideas will um, be taken for truth when they're really not true. They're just somebody sincerely thought. Rarely does anybody, I will say, let me actually think about this. I can't think of an instant instance in all these years where anybody has deliberately caused trouble, anybody among the Ananda members. We've had trouble from the outside, but among the Ananda members, I've never known anyone to maliciously cause trouble. But nonetheless, still, sometimes things just get distorted. The famous game where you whisper something you want into, you go around a circle and the first person whispers some statement to the first person and by the time it goes through 10 people and come back, comes back to you, it's completely unrecognizable. It just got changed and got changed. And so sometimes things happen. People misinterpret or um, they, sometimes they have their own agendas. They have their own agendas that makes them eager to believe something and rumors get started. So it's... Uh, what Swami's putting here is, I, I say this because having lived so closely with so many people for so many years, I've definitely seen these things happen. Although Ananda is goodness personified compared to almost any group of people you'd be involved with, still things happen. And I have always made it a very serious policy, I'm going to take it from the other side, to really not believe something that is unflattering or negative until I can really find out that it's true. Or if somebody says something to me, I, I always ask, in what context did that happen? You know, who was present? Who told you? Why did they tell you? In other words, what, what else, what's the bigger story around this? Because, and, and because I've, been, um, I've been amazed over the years how misguided we can often be but how well-intentioned most of the time people are, that they mean well in one way or another, even in repeating a rumor that perhaps shouldn't have been repeated. There's some hope for a good outcome, but a misguided effort to get there. So I, I work it from the other side. If, if, I, if something sounds a little questionable to me, I just hold off. I may not forget what was said to me, but nor do I remember it exactly. I just sort of hold it there and kind of see what the real story is because most of the time, the real story, the way I put it, is always more nuanced and interesting than just whatever gets started as a rumor. So then Swami puts it the other way. If, if, you're, if a rumor precedes you, if you're in a situation where you know maybe you're, you're up against people's preconceptions of you, and he's, there's a, a sort of an assumption that they're negative, 
But sometimes the preconceptions are positive. You know, Swamiji himself labored under the fact that he was very well known and a certain, well, I love the way he himself put it. He said, the older I, I get, the longer I live. He said, I, the more I feel the myth of Swami Kriyananda swirling around me. He said, and in the middle of it, I'm just the same old fellow. It's like he, he was just always himself living his life in a very sincere, he was enthusiastic, he was generous, he loved to um, share with others the, the great life discoveries that he had made and was continually making about the nature of life and where happiness comes from. But he, he never imposed, he never expected anything of anyone, he never made the slightest uh, pretentious gesture to maintain his position. He never referred to himself even as a teacher. He was just an enthusiastic person who wanted to share his enthusiasm. And of course, many of us fell in step behind him because we loved his enthusiasm and we were enthusiastic about the same things that he was enthusiastic about. And to be honest, there was a great deal about what he called the myth that was quite justified. After years of living with him, he was a, a truly one-of-a-kind human being in a, a an elevated way that to my experience, and I've met a lot of people, and I've moved in spiritual circles for many years, and I've met, you know, many, many extraordinary spiritual people. That's a fact. Of course, Swamiji was my own in a certain sense, so I, I there's no point in making comparisons. But he certainly, um, most of the myth that's that surged around him seems to me not to have been a myth. But he also had to deal. He had to deal with it in both ways because there was also he had he had enemies, he had enemies uh, within the spiritual family because people become quite fanatical about spiritual issues, and and sometimes they prove their dedication by being extremely intensely for this one and then extremely against this one, so both both kinds of rumors swami, uh, swirled around Swamiji, that you know that he was God incarnate or that he was God realized that he was a divine soul. Um, and that he was um, the Antichrist, and I don't exaggerate. <laughs> you know, some disciples of the same guru felt that he was the enemy of the guru. And in the midst of it, Swami said, I'm just the same old fellow. So he, he was in a strong position to say, you know, just take me as I am. And it's just, it's, it's a comfortable way to be within yourself. What difference does it make what people say about you? Because it's either true or it's not. And if it is true, it behooves you to pay attention. And if it's, if it's critical, it behooves us to do what we can to resolve whatever those valid criticisms are. And if it isn't true, people are just talking through their hat. And as Swami said, praise doesn't make me any better and blame doesn't make me any worse. I am what I am between my conscience and God. And... So when we sometimes approach things just bluntly and strongly, it really helps. I have, I, I swim at the YMCA for exercise because they have a, a heated pool. They have two pools inside. And even though the winters where I live are mild, I am milder still. And I do better in an indoor pool than an outdoor pool in the winter months. Um, but at some point they renovated the YMCA, and they put 
um, speakers into the indoor pool area so that they could play music. Now I want you to just imagine, you know what the, what the acoustics are in an indoor pool. This is not as bad as like a school gymnasium, but it's pretty darn close. So they would turn on these speakers and they would play a species of music that I would not call music, which in and of itself was awful. It would be picked by the um, teenage lifeguards to keep them from being bored. It's mostly a bunch of chubby middle-aged women in the water, <laughs> but the lifeguards would pick the music. It was, and I, I just couldn't stand it. One of the reasons I joined the Y was because they didn't play music in the public areas. So consistently, whenever there would be music playing, I would write a complaint, just consistently. And so I, because I always wanted them to know this was not okay. And then sometimes I would ask them to stop. And, you know, it was, I, I, I became somewhat notorious. But at a certain point, I called the manager and I said, am I the only one who complains? Because if I am the only one who complains, I don't want to be the only one. I'll just put in my earplugs and I'll accept it. Because even with earplugs, the sound waves go through the water. But I don't want to be too, too about this. Earplugs was enough. She said, no, there's others who complain. I said, okay, I'll keep doing it. Now, here's the whole point of the story. I'm in the pool one day, and, it's, and a lot of times the chubby middle-aged ladies, middle ladies just chat together and walk from end to end of the pool. It's great. I love it. I love it better than the sort of meat market where everybody's showing off how good they are. So I'm swimming over here, and I hear the conversation. We could have music in the swimming area, except some girl is always complaining. There's one woman who always complains. So I swam over to them and I said, I think you're talking about me. <laughs> and then, I mean, they were so disarmed by the fact that I just walked right in and accepted it. And, you know, and some of their information was false. You're the only one who complains. It would be different if you'd stop complaining. I said, no, actually, I talked to the manager. I was willing to stop. You know, we just, we just had this conversation. But it was, it was very hard for them to hold because I was right in front of them and I wasn't at all defensive or angry. And that, of course, is the key to the whole thing. You know, if you're, if you're defensive and angry, then don't try. But if you're just casual, you know, you may have heard some things about me. Why don't you make up your own mind? And uh, if it turns out to be true, it is. And if not, then we'll have all saved ourselves a lot of negativity, won't we? But the key is your own calmness. And the key is praise does not make me better. Blame does not make me worse. I just am what I am, and let me be here and see if I can learn something. It's not easy, but it's well worth the effort. Swami says, if rumor has preceded you, you might tell people rumor is a beast with many heads and with as many tongues. It may be wisest to let your own experience of me show you to which head you should listen. God bless you, my friends. Our work is made possible by inspired listeners, so if you feel to support ASHA, you can make a one-time donation, or for unique members-only content, subscribe through Patreon. Blessings and thank you.